Father, we thank you for, for Guy. And we pray, Lord, that you would just anoint him afresh now. Do you fill him with your spirit afresh? Make him aware of what you're doing in the room. Mm. And give us ears to hear. Mm. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, worship team. Morning, good to see you. Why don't you quickly say hello to someone next to you? Very quick. Okay. Very good. Well done. Well done. I did, I did. Okay, so... Really good to be together on this lovely morning. I was awake most of the night either snoring or listening to the wind and the rain. Our bedroom is in the loft. And just before I went to sleep last night, Esther said, what are the chances of this roof coming off? I said, I hadn't considered that before you asked that question, so thank you, dearest, for my sleepless night. Yeah, that's how I feel about you right now. All right, it's not a pantomime. So in a world of clickbait news, in a world of clickbait news and headline-grabbing stories, I've called this talk this morning, Lettuce. And I'm talking about three different lettuces, three different types of lettuce this morning. And lettuce is my youngest son's favourite food. I think primarily not because of the flavour, but because it offers the least resistance to his teeth as he chews it and, and consumes it. So I'm speaking about lettuce this morning. If you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to go to Hebrews 10, verse 19 to 25. Three different lettuces this morning. Therefore, brothers and sisters... Sorry, I haven't turned it on. Yeah, I have turned it on, but it's not working. <clears throat> if you guys can just run that for me. If you have a Bible, brilliant. If you haven't, shame on you. <laughs> Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place... By the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that brings us, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So three different lettuces this morning. The first is let us draw near to God. The second is let us hold fast. And the third is let us continue meeting together. So the first one, 
let us draw near to God. A good friend of mine recently uh, texted me early in the morning, as is his habit, and said, I just really feel the, that Psalm 16 is on my heart for you and your family, that you would consider reading this, this um, psalm for a while and just investing time into this scripture. And, and so for the last two weeks, I've really enjoyed just, um, just reading, meditating. I've been using Lectio Divina, as some of you might know, is a, is a way of meditating on scripture. And really, it's just, it's just slowing down and it's allowing that scripture or the Holy Spirit to speak through that scripture. And the first morning, I didn't get beyond keep me. Can you just do the next slide for us? Keep me safe, my God. Keep me. I just sit there with a cup of tea before the kids get up, with my Bible and the notebook, and just slowly go through this text. Keep me. On Thursday, just gone, I got to verse 4. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. And then as I've been doing recently, I've been reading it in different translations, just to see if there are different words that come out that grab my attention. And I went to the message version amongst others, and it says here, don't just go shopping for a god. Gods are not for sale. And at first I was confused. At first I couldn't understand what the late, great Eugene Peterson how he had come to that. I, I didn't see where that followed on from the NIV that I'd been reading. Don't just go shopping for a God. And it got me thinking about, I don't suppose any of us have ever woken up in the morning with a sense of urgency or a, a desire to think about what God we might go shopping for that day, either in the high street or on Amazon. And if you were to go shopping for a God, I wonder what gods are on offer. I wonder what gods would, would say, pick me. I'm the best one for your situation. Who would you choose? So I was thinking, surely this is just one of those lines in the Bible that doesn't translate into the modern vernacular. Maybe this is just one of those bits of the Bible that is for then and not for now. You know, the the culture and the context is so different when this was written by David thousands of years ago. Surely it's just a, a nice but slightly irrelevant passage. And then I felt the Lord speaking to me. The Bible tells us that we don't choose God. Not one of us has ever chosen God. Surely not before he first chose us. The Bible consistently teaches that God first chose you and me. That he stirs up a hunger in us to discover who we are, why we are, and who he is. We never choose God. Our response or our reaction is to receive or to reject him. He chooses us, and we have a choice in that. We receive or we reject him. God stirs up in the human heart a desire to know who he is, where we come from, why we exist. He stirs up these big thoughts and these questions, and then we go searching for answers, for reason, for meaning, for purpose. It's the Lord that stirs these thoughts and feelings up, wooing you, choosing you, inviting you into a journey and an adventure of discovery. I wonder where you are on that journey this morning. I wonder what stage of that journey 
you're at right now. Maybe it's an intellectual pursuit. Maybe you love just to read and to debate and to reason. Maybe you've just been looking through science and trying to understand how God fits into to science and chemistry and biology. Maybe you like to have a method and you set before yourself the options and you go through them one by one. Maybe there's a real reason and there's a real kind of um, method to the way that you try to explore who God is. And that's great. That's God stirring your, your mind. That's how you connect. That's how you think. That's how you engage. And there are some great thinkers that have gone before you. You're not on your own. Christianity doesn't have to be just a feeling or an emotional thing. It's an intellectual thing as well. And there are some great thinkers that have gone before that can help us understand. I'd say Ravi Zacharias is a great person. Just check him out on YouTube and just the way he thinks and reasons. God's stirring your mind. God's chosen you and is revealing himself to you. And you're thinking about how you respond to him. Or maybe you're more of a feeler than you are a thinker. Maybe you've been feeling a sense of dissatisfaction or a sense of emptiness. Or you're longing to feel content and secure and safe. Maybe it's more about how you feel in your, in your gut, in your soul, in your spirit, in your heart, however you explain it. Maybe it's more about just what makes you feel good, what makes you known. Again, that's the Lord choosing you, stirring you to search for him, to find him, to receive him. In both cases, the answer is the same. The Bible teaches us to draw close to God. Draw close to God. We might live in a culture that it isn't obvious what the gods are to choose from. We might look back on ancient civilizations and consider them crude simple or foolish, to create a god out of bronze or gold or wood or whatever it might be, and then bow down to it, to worship it. But I wonder how many of us have elevated people or possessions into our own mini-gods, only to become disappointed or disillusioned when that god lets you down, when that god fails you, or worse, when you become addicted to that god. And it starts to hurt you and harm you when you're out of control and that God is leading you down a path you don't want to go down. The man or the woman that goes running after gods will suffer more and more, it says in the NIV. The man or the woman that goes running after gods, small g, will suffer more and more. There's only suffering when we choose a God from the shelf, from Amazon, amongst friends. Nothing in this world will satisfy or fulfill us like knowing and drawing near to Yahweh God. Nothing. God doesn't have a rival or an equal. He doesn't sit there amongst other gods hoping that you'll pick him like an insecure kid being picked for a football team. God doesn't hope that you're going to choose him amongst other gods, that he can win your heart over other amongst other gods. God doesn't get chosen, God chooses. We get to reject or to receive. Let us draw near to God because the Bible is full of promises and one of those promises 
is that when we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. Now, I used to think that that text was really about God being a little bit moody, perhaps, or a bit distant, and saying, I'm not going to come to you until you come to me. I'm going to be far off from you, Guy, until you come to me. I want you to say, I love you first. Or maybe we think that God wants us just to get our lives sorted, to sort our act out before we come close to him, before we draw close to him. But now I appreciate that actually God loves us so much that he would give us a choice, that he honours free will. He won't impose himself on you, but he's just itching for you to draw near to him, desperate for you to turn to him, not imposing himself, but hoping, wishing, wanting you to draw close to him. Let us draw near to God, friends. Think about him. Talk about him. Talk to him. Share stories about him. Meet with friends that you know love Jesus. Draw close to him through their stories. Don't choose a God. Respond to a God that chooses you. Let us draw close to God. That's my first letter this morning. Number two. Next slide, please, Chris. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Sorry, if you can go back. Context is really important when we read the Bible, and it's important to remember that this book that we have, Hebrews, is actually a letter written by a person to an audience. And the people that this this man or this woman was writing to were Jewish Christians. They'd grown up in Judaism. That was their faith, that was their history, that was their story. And then they had come to accept and receive Jesus Christ as their Messiah. They had encountered the living God. And they turned from Judaism into Christianity. They rejected the rules and the rituals and the rites. And they received Jesus by believing in him as the Messiah. And this this author, time and time again, speaks to these people and encourages them not to go back, not to go back to where they once were. They were under intense persecution and pressure to pick up their old religion, to pick up their old ways. And this writer keeps on saying, don't go back to where you were. Reasoning with his audience, not to go back to their old ways, but to trust in Jesus for their salvation. Not trust in their own works. Not trust in what they could do. And the Jewish people love telling stories. And I'm not talking about myths. I'm not talking about kind of hearsay stories. But they love telling the next generation about the previous generation. Sharing stories of their story as a people, the Israelites, and the way that God had been... had chosen them first and then were using them to be a blessing to this world, which they of course are. And so the Jewish people love these stories and one of the heroes of the faith is Moses. And so any any Jew knows about Moses because of the stories that have been told. And this book, Hebrews, this letter, isn't a story of good against bad. It's a story of what's good and what's better. 
And we read in Hebrews 3 that the, the comparison and the contrast between Moses and Jesus is the author saying, Moses is good, but Jesus is better. And then we read about the story of the Israelites, and, and we know from Sunday school, and we know from the films like Prince of Persia, that, that the, the people, the Jewish people, the Israelites, were in slavery and captivity in Egypt. And they had an awful life. They were treated just awful, awful times in this place in Egypt. And then God, through his, his man Moses, leads them out of captivity to the promised land, a land with flowing with milk and honey. Now you want to contextualise that and call it beer and burgers, I don't know, but, but something really special, something really good. And so the Lord is leading them through the wilderness, but it's difficult, it's hard. And they start to grumble, they start to complain. And they start to wish that they were back where they once were. Now I think the problem with hindsight is when we look back on our story, sometimes we look back with rose-tinted glasses. We forget what it was actually like. And I think they had forgotten what it was like to be in slavery. I think they, they forgot just how awful Pharaoh was, just how he oppressed them. And sadly, this generation of Israelites never got to see the promised land. Sadly, they never got to enter that promised land, the land of promise and plenty. What stopped them entering that place? What was it that kept them from entering the place that God has set apart for them, this place of abundance, this place of beauty? It was unbelief. Unbelief kept them from entering that place. Not one of those people entered. The next generation did, but they didn't. They missed out because of unbelief. Brothers and sisters, we have to hold fast unswervingly to the hope that we profess. Hold fast unswervingly to your faith and to the hope that you profess. Unswervingly. Do not swerve from it, my friends. Why? How? Because of Jesus. Because Jesus Jesus is faithful and trustworthy. If Jesus has done all he did... If Jesus had cleansed the lepers, if Jesus had healed the blind, if Jesus had lifted the lame, if Jesus had raised the dead, if Jesus had freed the demonized but hadn't risen from the dead, we wouldn't be talking about him. If Jesus had been this amazing teacher with wisdom and intellect and insight and understanding, turned the world on its head with his teaching but hadn't risen from the dead, we wouldn't know who he is. He would just be an anonymous character from years ago. He'd be forgotten, ignored, just in the past. But Jesus validated everything he ever did and said on that first Easter morning when he rose from the dead. It wasn't until Jesus rose again and lived amongst the disciples, and then ascended into heaven that the church was born. It wasn't until they'd seen his crucified body appear before them that the church started. Sure, he had followers before. He had a group of people that followed him around. But it was when he had risen from the dead and appeared before his friends 
that the church just exploded into life and continues to grow at a rapid rate across this world right now. It was his death and his resurrection and then his ascension that started this amazing thing. It validated everything that he said and did. So because of Jesus, because of the hope that we have in the resurrected Jesus, we can have hope. And that we should have hope. And we should hold, hold fast to that hope. I want to talk a little bit, just for a minute, about doubts. How some of us don't like to admit that we struggle with doubt. We struggle with doubts. You know, doubt is allowed. We give you permission to have doubt. You are allowed to have doubt. Os Guinness puts it well like this. If we have the next slide. Doubt is not the opposite of faith, nor is it the same as unbelief. Doubt is a state of mind in suspension between faith and unbelief, so that it is neither of them wholly and it is each only partly. This distinction is absolutely vital because it uncovers and deals with the first major misconception of doubt. The idea that in doubting a a believer is betraying faith and surrendering to unbelief. Next slide. The word unbelief is usually used of a willful refusal to believe or a deliberate decision to disobey. So while doubt is a state of suspension between faith and unbelief, Unbelief is a state of mind which is closed against God, an attitude of heart which disobeys God as much as it disbelieves the truth. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. Unbelief is. Doubt does not necessarily or automatically mean the end of faith, for doubt is faith in two minds. What destroys faith is the disobedience that hardens into unbelief. I love the prayer that we see in Mark, the prayer of a desperate father whose son has just been gripped by a demon since birth, that's thrown him into water and thrown him into fire and tried killing him time and time again. And this father, you can just imagine, being a dad myself, just the desperation that this father has. And he meets Jesus and he says to Jesus, will you heal my son? And Jesus Jesus replies, if you believe, all things are possible. And the dad's just authentic, vulnerable response to Jesus is, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Doesn't that give you hope? Doesn't that encourage you? Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, I do believe in you, but there are things I don't understand. The things I don't get. That's okay. We're allowed to have doubts. Because I believe doubts push us closer to God. I believe our doubts cause us to to think and just uh, press in to who God is. Admit your doubts. Admit your doubts to yourself. Admit your doubts to your Father in heaven. Admit your doubts to a close friend, to a loved one. Just don't ignore them, don't subdue them, don't push them under, pretending they don't exist. But know this, know this, that because of Jesus, 
because of this man that lived a really ordinary life for many of his years, raised by regular people, died a cruel death, and then rose again. Death could not stop him. Know this, that you can have faith because of Jesus. Because our faith is based on a man that lived and died and rose again. A man that appeared to his friends in a place of brokenness and fear. And then the church just exploded into life. They couldn't hold themselves back. Became a global movement within just a few generations, which is still growing today. For me, when I have doubts, I think about that time in history. That moment in history where the church just couldn't be held back because of the hope and the truth that they had because of the resurrected Jesus. Final letters. Let us continue meeting. Let us consider how we may spur one another towards... Sorry. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. Have the next slide, please, Chris. If we turn to Acts 2, 42 to 47, we see documented the first church. This is where it all began. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So we see in the first church, we see instruction. That's a click there, um, Chris. We see instruction. We see fellowship. We see the observance of the ordinance, breaking of bread, which we've just been doing. We see corporate prayer. We see effective outreach. We see a common cause and we see mutual assistance. These people were gathering together, not just for the sake of having a meeting, but loving each other, encouraging each other, spurring one another on. Belonging to a church is so much more than just coming to a meeting. So much more. Jesus never came to start another religion, to give us another whole bunch of meetings to attend to. He never thought to himself, what these people need is just something else to belong to and to go to. Jesus came to represent his Father, to demonstrate what love looks like, and then calls us together to to proclaim and to demonstrate that very same love to one another. This has never been about another meeting we ought to attend, about a religion we need to observe in order to make him happy. This is all about love. It's all about love. Our experience should be one of encouragement, love, sharing, 
looking out for one another, being a blessing to each other and to those that don't yet belong to this global phenomenon. But there's an opportunity to engage deeper. If you come along on a Sunday morning, which I'm guessing you do because you're here right now, but if you come along on a Sunday morning and you're feeling like there must be more to life than this, then my friends, there really is. There really is. There are so many opportunities to engage at a deeper level. Don't just come to a meeting. Be a part of a body. Be a part of a family that is working together to see the kingdom of God come in this town at this time. We have midweek opportunities, serving in food bank, farm and money advice, little lighthouse toddler group, or um, school holiday, holiday club that Joe runs. Midweek opportunities to serve this town, to serve the people that come here, to love one another. We have small groups, which is an opportunity to minister to one another, to practice spiritual gifts, to practice hospitality, to pray for one another, to worship with each other, to iron, sharpen iron. We have Sunday teams, which are an opportunity to serve, to put others before yourself, to learn from our children and to teach our children, to learn from our amazing youth that are asking challenging questions. I dare you, my friends, to engage in youth work. If you want your faith tested, I dare you, seriously, to engage in epic kids, to understand what Jesus is like. I double dare you to join a Sunday team, to be family, to serve others, to love others. And then finally, the opportunity to test God. The only place the Bible says we can test God is in the way that we are generous to God with our finances. If you consider this your home church and you don't yet give financially, could I encourage you just to step into that place of faith, to step into that place and to give God financially with a grateful heart. We don't talk about this often and it's something that people are uncomfortable talking about, but we can testify in our own lives and so many people can testify that God is so good. God is so good. There are so many ways to engage beyond just a meeting. Let us draw near to God. Let us hold fast. And let us continue to meet together, to love one another, to spur each other on in love and good deeds. Because love looks like something. Let's stand. That's my fourth lettuce. Let's stand. <clears throat> Father, we just give you this, this time, this space... Holy Spirit, we invite you just to move amongst us, to have your way. Christian perseverance is a community, a community endeavour. Let me say that again. Christian perseverance is a community endeavour.
Lord, would you let us or help us draw close to you? Father, where faith feels like it's eroding or diminishing, would you give us a strength, Lord, to hold on to what we have? Knowing that you are a good God and you will increase that. And Father, help us to be more loving, more encouraging, that we'd move beyond meetings and step fully into community. For the sake of your kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to, um, the band are going to lead us in time of worship. This is an opportunity, really, just to search your heart.